Welcome and thanks for listening. Uh, this is Brian Schneider, co-chair of Aaron Fox's nonprofit and associations practice. And we're here today to talk with Megan Daly, one of our corporate attorneys, about some tips and tricks and best practices, lessons learned for mostly small companies, small nonprofits and, and for-profit businesses around their contract management and contract negotiation processes. Megan, let's start with the big questions that some of our smaller clients often ask. So the first question I'll say is, do we really need a contract for everything we have a contractor do? Well, first of all, Brian, thanks so much for having me today. Happy to weigh in on this subject very near and dear to my heart. So looking for whether you actually need a contract for everything that you could possibly want to do as a small business. Contracts don't necessarily have to be in writing, but oral contracts are really difficult to prove. When you think about it in the long term, if anything were ever to go wrong with an independent contractor or whoever the counterparty is to your contract, it's very difficult, even often impossible to enforce. Like what if there's a dispute about how much money you agreed on would be paid or the scope of work that either of you was supposed to do? There's nothing in writing to prove that. There's a lot of legalese that you can get into as to why you should have it in writing and when it's required to have it in writing. But it's just best practice to go ahead and have any contract that's vitally important to the company to go ahead and have it in writing so you have that backup. Important contracts should always be in writing. And if our folks listening have a contract, you know, I, I hear often that the contracts, they look so similar. It's, you know, sort of template documents. Do I really need a lawyer to help me look at it? Sure. Well, having a lawyer review every contract will give you the most protection and make sure that you have someone who's reviewed every little bit of it and who has an idea of what's going on and can help you in the event something goes wrong with it during negotiating or goes wrong with it in the future. At Aaron Fox, we can often review and provide negotiating advice with a very quick review of most contracts. But however, for some of my clients who are more particularly cost conscious, what a lot of lawyers can do is help you draft certain form agreements that you can then go in and fill in the blanks and replicate for similar situations. For example, a lawyer can help you draft a form employment or independent contractor agreement. And that's something that comes up a lot is that often if you're looking to hire a lot of employees or a lot of independent contractors, you're not necessarily going to need an agreement that is specific to each individual one or has very particular provisions for each person that you're contracting with. So if that's the case, you can get a a form agreement that would then just have like a schedule or an exhibit attached to the end that has the more particularities that are important for that one particular employee or independent contractor. But it's not something that would have to be particularly negotiated time and time again. And so that's what you would get into, like I said, with the body of the agreement as opposed to like an attached schedule. And then that way you don't necessarily have to change the agreement employee to employee and you just have the lawyer review the form and then you can always negotiate the schedule on the back end. Yeah. And one of the things I've seen, you know, as I've worked with you and other folks on our corporate team is that even an agreement that someone might consider to be a form or a template is still often customized for the particular client. Maybe it's the industry they're in, certain regulatory issues, legal strategies that they want to use. And so you know, I'm always hesitant to even use the word form or template without sort of caveating, right, that it, this is really a form or template for you and for your business to use. It's not something that you can sort of just pull off the shelf in most cases. And I guess I'm thinking more broadly as a client looks at their contract negotiations, their contract management. Let's talk about what some of the big mistakes are that you see happen when folks are managing their contract language and negotiating it either with or without an attorney, 
Well, first of all, to your point about having a form that's particular to your business versus having one that's just general forms, this is something that a lot of my clients run into mistakes with is that they'll pull a template off of, for example, Rocket Lawyer or something from Google and just be like, oh, well, I can use this because this vaguely matches what's going on with my business. And then they'll just cookie cutter it in and say, yeah, it'll work. That can be a mistake. Like we said, it might be a good idea to have a lawyer review at least the form to make sure that you're making the form particular to your business rather than just a general form, like I said, that you would pull off the internet. As for any other mistakes that happen, particularly in contract language, it's really important to make sure that you put in your contract uh, what each party has to do, what they're required to do under the contract. Often we see a lot of reliance on what happened in preliminary negotiations or what happened in like a term sheet or a letter of intent. And the problem is, is that you can't really reference a letter of intent or any sort of pre-negotiations, especially like we were talking about before, if they were oral as opposed to written, you can't really reference those when you're writing up a contract. So you need to make sure that the provisions of what each party is expected to do are included in your actual contract. Something else that we often run into are issues with termination. So generally, a contract is effective for a certain length of time or until a named event or until termination under the contract. You know, you'll have a provision saying a party may terminate the contract for X reasons. So when termination occurs, the contract will no longer be effective. Like I said, you can have it on a particular date, upon notice, upon violation of contract terms. But problems that can arise with this are allowing one party to terminate the contract without the other party's consent or without even notice to the other party. This is something that can happen with small businesses if they're negotiating a contract with a larger company that is going to try to strong arm just by virtue of their size and their experience. They'll just say, we can like terminate for any reason without notice, you definitely want to make sure that you as a party have that provision in there that allows you to terminate or to have notice or consent to termination from the other side. Another thing is not providing for a cure period. So a cure period is what happens when if the other side says, hey, you breached this agreement, like you didn't do something that you said you would do under the agreement. Sometimes what you'll see in contracts is there's a provision that you will have X days after notice of there being a problem to fix it. So that can be a nice little policy to have in there in case you want to make sure that the agreement doesn't just terminate because you missed something, you missed an email or something that would make it terminate for a really simple and ridiculous reason rather than you being able to fix it. Another reason that we see termination happen that can be a mistake is for not providing for renewal. So if you want to have something that's leading to an ongoing relationship and that you just assume that the contract will continue unless, again, terminated by either of the parties, you want to make sure you put a provision in there saying that this agreement will continue to renew for example, one-year periods following the execution date until such other time. But that's a way that you can make sure that the contract won't fail for termination. You know, and I hear a lot of clients sort of query whether it's time well spent to negotiate on, you know, what a lot of folks will term the the legal terms, so not the business terms. Things like indemnification, limitations of liability, insurance, representations and warranties. How do you feel as though value can be added to the contract when you're negotiating those terms? Well, I think it's really important that even if you're not having a lawyer review it, that you still get an idea of what that term actually means, especially because a lot of people will just sign off on an indemnification provision and not know what indemnification 
indemnification even means. So in terms of value added, even if you're going to have a lawyer just review a couple of provisions, I think it's important to make sure that they're reviewing, again, indemnification may be a good one. But another one would be in terms of intellectual property ownership to make sure that you know who owns what in terms of any product that the company generates to make sure you know who has rights in it. And then even another thing to keep in mind would be to look at confidentiality provisions to make sure that you know what your obligations are in terms of not disclosing anything that you find out by virtue of being in business with the other party. But then, of course, vice versa, to make sure that they don't go off and spill the beans about your company. So those are some of the main provisions, I would say. Another one that I would consider, especially in this day and age with the ongoing pandemic, is a force majeure clause. Again, that's very Latin-y. And so to boil it down, it's making sure that you have a provision in there that accounts for what will happen in the event of a quote-unquote act of God. Often you'll see a lot of form contracts from larger companies will have a force majeure provision in there. The most important thing, though, is like I said, in this day and age is to include in a force majeure provision something about the pandemic that says that this is considered something out of the ordinary. So I see a lot specific language saying like public health crisis inclusive of a pandemic. Some specifically call out COVID, but you want to make sure that's in there. A lot of older contracts, of course, pre-2020 did not include something like this. We never first saw that being an issue. But now as we're moving forward in the contract world, it's really important to have that provision in there so that you can say that any disruptions that occur as a result of the pandemic, this is what's going to happen as a result. So in our last few minutes together today, I want to talk a little bit about contract management as opposed to the terms of the contract. How do we actually store contracts, track them, make sure that we're dealing with, you know, renewal terms, things like that? I want to get your sense. What are the ways that you're seeing folks? What are some mistakes that folks have made in doing that, in keeping track of their own contracts? I think the most important thing and something I definitely see that becomes an issue with a lot of my smaller clients is making sure that you actually write down what's happening. And when I say write down what's happening, I mean, make sure that you're actually providing contracts, even if it's something that's happening in-house, even if it's just a, a small company and it's happening between the members of the company, make sure you actually have it in writing because down the road, if you're trying to sell your business, a purchaser is going to want to see, well, how did this happen? How did this equity get transferred from this person to this person? Or how did this happen? And then I have a lot of my clients will say, oh, well, we just did that. Or that was more of a napkin transaction. It was something they, you know, scribbled on a cocktail napkin and said, yep, this is what we're going to do. But they never had any documentation for it. So it's important to make sure everything's documented. The next thing is to make sure that you actually save those documents into some sort of centralized and protected location. So again, the issue that you can have here is if you have contracts that have a bunch of amendments, for example, or that have been assigned or have been assumed or anything that would modify the original contract, you want to make sure that you are saving and protecting, like password protecting, the paper trail so that you can see exactly how, again, in the example from previously, how equity is being transferred or you know just how land is being transferred. Just you want to make sure you follow that. Another thing that you want to do is you want to make sure you're tracking deliverables under the contract. So going back to what 
that we talked about originally with making sure that each party knows what they have to do under a contract. It's really important to make sure that you're keeping track of, well, have I fulfilled that? So if the contract calls for certain things that you need to make sure you do, whether that's I need to enter into these other contracts, I need to provide these supplies, I need to do whatever it is. You want to make sure that you have some system, even if it's just like an Excel sheet where you write out these are the things under X provision of the agreement that my company needs to do, that you make sure that you're fulfilling them and make sure you're keeping track of the dates of when you're fulfilling that too and any documentation that goes along with that. Same idea with when a contract would need to be renewed, even if it's just an Excel sheet, putting in the dates that they need to be renewed. And so you keep that in mind for calendar purposes. Yeah, the number of times we've had clients where they get a bill for the next year's services because they missed the deadline to avoid auto renewal, I can't count on my fingers and toes. That happens all the time. <laughs> and, sure. and it's an easy one to avoid. If you track those days in your calendar or an Excel spreadsheet, definitely should not be missed. Well, thanks, Megan. This is, uh, I think, super helpful. I hope our clients and the community of Errant Fox listeners find this helpful. And this has been another Errant Fox podcast. Wonderful. Thanks so much. Take care, all. 